opulence, grand, expensive, aspirational, exquisite. Words that were once used to describe luxury. But what words would we use today? What does luxury mean today? How has the pandemic reshaped our perspective and redefined our vision of what luxury really means? And how does that translate to the luxury hospitality experience? Hello everyone, my name is Monita Rajpal and welcome to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast. Here we explore the ideas, issues and trends that are being discussed within the design community today, as well as among clients and customers. Joining me today are Rachel Johnson and Jeremy Hayes. Rachel is Senior Vice President and Studio Director at Wimberley Interiors. As a senior interior designer, she is proficient in meeting the needs of the client and advising on new, innovative design techniques that introduce individuality to the project. With over 20 years experience, Rachel brings an acute eye for detail and a strong understanding of the hospitality industry, as well as the processes involved in project development. Jeremy is Senior Vice President and Managing Director at WATG. With more than 35 years of experience in planning and architecture, both in the UK and overseas, Jeremy has a wide-ranging background in design and project management. His highly creative design expertise includes hotels, entertainment and leisure resort facilities, as well as residential developments. I wanted to start by asking you that the word luxury seems quite ambiguous today. It's a very difficult one to define. It means different things to different people, but when it comes to what it is you do, how do you take that definition on? What a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right because I think the the entire um idea of luxury has really morphed in the last i'd say decade or so and also i think all probably even has been since then has been reassessed with you know what people have been through for the last two years so what do people really value and i think if you'd asked me that before we went home for two years you know and spent two years in our own dwellings yeah i think it was quite material mm. I think you could have been absolutely clear about it was about either products or it would be from Rachel's side, she would be very clear about, about it. And I think it's more of people now thinking more about experiential. It's all about what am I going to do with that time? I mean, at one point we were taking, talking about the, the crews who are out there who are um, had time poverty, you know, they didn't have enough time on their hands and therefore they were making decisions. But I think it really is about that. It's the experience. It's what and, and it's how we craft both our, our architectural work and I think with, with Rachel's side of things, which blends all this together. And I think it's thinking about those moments that people elect to stay and be within the designs that we do. Mm. I think that's absolutely crucial. You can have a tent and it be considered luxury because of the experience around you. Um, so much of it is, it's not just what we do in design, it's the operations, it's the um, aspiration of 
the provider of these experiences. And I think that's the only way that we can respond and, and look at that. We go from something as grand as the trains, which are obviously uber luxury. They have everything, every surface is covered, everything, you know, people are going for that one-off life experience. Mm. Then we might have a tent down in Africa that is very basic, but still luxurious for a tent. So it's all relative to, to the place and the experience that the client's looking for. Yeah, I suppose that's where, yeah, that's probably what I meant as well. When I talk about materiality, it's not just about opulence. Mm. Yeah. Which I think probably a couple of decades ago, it clearly was. I mean, it was about, you know, the gold-plated taps and all kinds of things, which which is no longer the case. Mm-hmm. We know things can be beautifully designed, what they add to your experience. And, and, you know, whether that's a tent or it's something far more simplistic. There was a time, too, when guest experience or a guest would be categorized, right? And their experience would be categorized based on why they are there, whether it is that they're there for a holiday or they're an executive, they're for business meetings. So the experience would be tailored towards why they were there in the first place. Now we're looking at people who have these hybrid lives. So we can go on holiday, but we also need to work because the whole idea of life today is about flexibility. So how do you cater to design and experience when we are having this hybrid existence? Everything has to be seamless. So the technology needs to be in place. So wherever you are, as long as the Wi-Fi works, everyone seems to be happy from the children right through to the adults trying to do their their meetings. So that is one of the key. And what's interesting is these are all things that you can't see. Everyone wants the charger, the USB port by their their bed. They want it by the desk. They want a lot more sockets in the room. So it's just understanding how people, and even ourselves and our families as we travel, there's nothing worse than two children fighting over one socket in the bedroom to charge the iPad. So all those things are really hidden. So that's a luxury of service. That's not a luxury in design. I remember working when, when we refurbished clarities, I mean, many years ago, and the, the GMs and the, the head of the support group at the time just said, but what, it is that moment where you've sat in a chair and you've got something in your hand, but you need to put it down. Mm. Where is that, that side table? Where is it? It's anticipating what your guest requires next, isn't it? And it's, it's just yes. being there. And I, th- I, I mean, talking back to where you, where you were just saying, I think if we start designing just for certain tribes, which I think has been the propensity, certainly with, with the kind of the proliferation of the hotel brands, it's interesting. There's a relatively new property here in London. I remember them talking to a prospective owner who was looking at uh, rolling out their brand and sitting there, and he was given the entire marketing strategy for that particular brand. And he was describing the demographic that they were aiming at. We were sat in the main restaurant lobby area. And clearly the people he was describing were not in that lobby. Yeah. They weren't. (laughs) And, you know, you can't say that they weren't there because they weren't enjoying themselves. But this was a very youthful brand. But in fact, it it mainly had older people in it. And I think we do forget, I mean, there's one thing about what's happened in the last two years is, Everybody is human. We all have our same needs. And I think there's slight arrogance of not understanding that it doesn't matter what your age is, that level of 
comfort, luxury. Can I plug in my phone to recharge? Applies to everybody now. I read uh, recently a statistic, which I, you know caught me by surprise, but how accurate it is, I'm not sure. But the, the statistics stated that by 2025, 45% of the luxury market will comprise of millennials, part of Gen, Gen Z. To be able to identify the, the end user becomes much more complicated, doesn't it? It does become complicated, but I think we all look at, you know, if I go, if you go for a city break, what are you looking for in that city break? Are you going there for the nightlife? You, you know, one weekend you might be going with a group of friends for a bit of nightlife. So you want the, want the disco on the beach. If you're going off to Mykonos or whatever, you're, you're buying that experience. And your room can be pretty basic, but it's still luxury. The uber luxury is still is still there. They are attracting and trying to attract a lot that younger crowd into that. But it's not seen as an everyday. It's seen as that real treat, that real bucket list, for want of a better term, to say I've been on this brand safari in Africa. You do it once in your life, and you might say, "Well, I'm going to do it at this level or that level." So. We all pick and choose what, where we're going to spend our money. And I think that's what's very exciting about the market at the moment is we have so much choice. But as long as it's beautifully executed and considered and it works. Yeah. So does that, is actually the, the key. Does that pose opportunities or challenges, do you think? I think it's opportunities. Yeah. Very definitely. But I think it's also, again, as we said, this market has matured so much so quickly. That incredible POW design statement that would have been luxury 20 years ago is probably not, not as impactful as today. I mean, the one thing with the generations you're talking about who are social media savvy, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the Instagrammable, that one moment, hashtag living the best life, is ultimately where our designs, we want those people, the operators and the investors and and developers we work with, that's what they want their hotel products to be. It is, wow, it's that, goodness me, I wouldn't have expected that. There's an element of a surprise, it's aspirational. It checks all those boxes. What kind of a mindset do you need to be in to then be able to expand your thinking, expand your options, and make those available to your clients? Gosh, that is a, that's a tricky one. I think we look at every location is unique. Every project is unique. You know, we keep going back to the guest experience. People actually want a lot more freedom. They want to be able to control their environment. So it's offering that bit for everyone. So we go back again to the family, you're on holiday, but you're working. Okay, you're not all gonna sit in the room and keep the children quiet while you're on a conference call. The ability to have a space somewhere in the hotel where the kids are safe, where you can go and make that call, where you can kind of get in that work mode, but it's having that flexibility and having those little pockets in a hotel. So the public spaces almost become an extension of the guest room. So it becomes that third space. And that started quite a while ago, didn't it, with Matt, with the idea of the great room, this lobby that had different functions. It's not just a sea of sofas, but that has developed even more. So people will do Zoom calls sitting on the beach or in the bar. People can choose where they do their business or or their entertainment. I think at the heart of it is what we do is as hotel and resort designers 
is this is not testosterone design. This is not the unrelenting search for something that's aggressive. You look at our, um, our portfolio across the 75 years, there's, there is a calmness to it. There's a contentment. You know, there's, there's something quite resolved and centric about it and, and relaxing. And that ultimately is where the heart of WATG's DNA is. It's, it's talking to that moment where you've, you've gone there. I mean, if resort could be a verb, to resort. Yeah, I mean, you are... It, it is about calm. It's about contentment. It's about you've elected to be in that space. And ultimately, as we work with our investors, what does that also mean? It means that actually you want that guest to return as well. So, I mean, that's incredibly powerful. And the heart of everything, you know, we put that overlay on all the stuff that Rachel was just talking about. Ultimately, the, the guest's current needs and um, desires. What they're finding is guests are becoming very discerning. They're becoming very discerning how they spend their money. I know people, we're talking about the millennials, they'll go and stay in a hostel, but they'll go and eat in the finest restaurant in the city. So they will choose how to spend their money. It's this sort of strange mix that people do, which is like the rise of the Airbnb. People go there, then they'll go and spend all their money in the fanciest restaurants in London or Paris. You look at the aviation industry, they, they've been victims of this because the, the low-cost carrier has 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 burgeon hasn't it and so our national flag carriers have all have all had to wake up to the fact that if people are going away for that romantic weekend very frequently people will decide to save on the airfare and spend on the hotel so again what we're talking about is uh, it's about experiential people are being very focused and, and also people choose they might stay in different grades of properties whilst they're on holiday we are seeing an awful lot of properties beginning to reevaluate themselves and, and actually reinvent themselves. And there is definitely a trend as we look at probably today, as we look at repurposing and upcycling and all those kind of things. The green agenda is let's look at these structures and we start reinventing them. And what's intriguing is, number one, some of our forefathers have made some pretty cool decisions about certain things and they're not all completely rubbish but as we begin to look at it and begin to appreciate it we actually see a a different approach so working with our colleagues here with the landscape we start looking at you know biophilia productive gardens all kinds of really really nice touches to this yeah uh, within within these properties and just looking how we now they reinvent themselves and they give themselves another lease of life got moving forward i think that's really exciting what has been part of the luxury experience is the service. But we're also seeing now is this whole idea and reality of contactless service. Yes. And it's a real challenge, isn't it, to balance the two? How does that work, do you think? The, the difference is that the staff have a different relationship with the guests now. Very different. They're a lot more personable. They build up relationships. It's not as cut and dried as it used to be. So even in, you know, the luxury, I mean, maybe the high-end luxury when you have butlers and things, but guests have changed and how they view the staff and how they treat the staff. And I think the staff has changed as well. You, you do build up a rapport with the staff and they really do add 
that atmosphere that um, the team on a property brings to a client's experience can actually make or break. I mean, it could be the most beautiful property, but if the operations and the staff are not carrying that forward, it'll get lost. We're basically saying that the true definition of luxury hasn't really changed. Well, you know, it, it hasn't changed. You're completely right. I mean, because, you know, we're all humans. We, we still have those, those needs and, and they, they always have been the same. What has changed is the way we, we view them and where we, we see it. So, for example, what is the criteria for a five-star hotel? Well, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been with WHG 30 years now. And I look at where we were when we, we, we first started talking. You know, a five-star hotel had a five-fitting bathroom. Well, that's fine. You know, so that would that would be absolutely clear. But there was there were all there were also other criteria. And I remember on one occasion we had a one-story resort, which was just a ground hugger, and we had to put an elevator into it. Because you need an elevator in a five-star hotel. Because <laughs> it was a point. Because you need to check the box. But the issue is, is that nobody's going to make a decision on staying in a property because of the elevator. Yeah. Um, there used to be another criteria. You've got to have dry cleaning within a certain many, um, number of hours. Yeah, a, a trousers um, breast is another one. You know, and, you and they just say they, things like that have gradually disappeared. So the Uber luxury now have butlers. So you wouldn't even dream of getting an ironing board out. You'd ring your bell and your butler that looks after six rooms would turn up and take it from you and, and deal with it. So there's different, obviously, levels of this, this luxury that we're all looking at. But also, I think we're also buying space. Yeah. It's time and space. That's what we're looking at every time. What, how does a person feel when they go in? What is, it's really important that the spaces are correct proportionally. What did the last couple of years do to or for your creativity? Gosh, not a lot. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be honest. <laughs> it feels now, in, in a strange way, um, I'd say in the last four months since the team, that I can breathe again. That I feel that actually I've got the space in my head to do that now. I, I know that maybe it's not the correct answer, but that's how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. I felt everything had closed in. I wasn't experiencing things. I wasn't um, excited, you know, with our travel, with our client. We weren't meeting people. It's Again, it's the experiences. I wasn't getting any experiences that was leading me to say, wow, you know, looking online or like, it's just not the same. Yeah. Yeah, because we feed off of people's energy, don't we? we exactly, but also the, the yeah. colleagues, the team, we mm. feed the creativity. It's almost like it's it's been allowed to bubble up again. It, it, it sort of, it's been free once we've been free from our homes. I'd add to that also. I think there's an element of expectation as well now. And I've, I've just kicked off a couple of new projects and it's the energy, the raw energy of people and not just ourselves as architects, like landscape, interiors but there's other you know we're, we're working with a couple of clients and we're bringing another expertise of people who are who are working with us and it's incredibly exciting how do you start looking and redefining and where we're we going you know the, these are properties now we're looking at lifespans 25 to 50 years on average to for most for the, architecture, yeah. for the architecture yeah we have to be very cognizant of the fact that that you, you are making the right decisions about certain things. It's unleashed 
some real pent-up um, design enthusiasm. It's a collaborative process. It, it was hard trying to design on Zoom. It's very, very difficult. You know, when you're sitting there as a group, you're all different levels, all different experience. And sort of some of the more junior members, when you're sitting around a table drawing, will contribute, whereas on the Zoom call, they wouldn't. So we were kind of missing that excitement. I mean, uh, you know, um, don't get me wrong. We we did, we we managed ways to, to work when we were all remote. And if you rightly say, most of us, a lot of us are on the road visiting the properties that we're, we're delivering, we're designing. So technology wasn't a challenge. It wasn't too much of a challenge for us, really, because most of us have mobile technology. And we, we talk to our teams when we're on the road. But I think one of the, th the things to do is, is think about, well, collaboration is so fundamentally important to us. And that's the reason why. So, for example, you're speaking to us, and we're in the heart of Covent Garden. We probably have some of the most real, real expensive per square foot real estate in London. But there is a reason why we do that. It's because we attract talent from all over the globe. In, in that, and, and you look at where we're, we're situated. We're in, we're, we, as a company, we're, you know, our biggest offices are here in California and Singapore. So we, we're talking about three really big gateway cities. And we know that collaboration is what makes us better. The, the, and the diversity and the interaction and all the people we, we attract into our business. And then to, with all to, also with our co-consultants who are also part of that ecosystem that helps us design the very best. The last question I have before I let you go has to be, what does luxury mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not doing the washing up. <laughs> what does it mean to me? Um, I really, I like to feel very comfortable, very secure. I like the space and the time. The, the, it, those are the experiences, but then sometimes I like to go somewhere that's really buzzy and it, it, it really depends mm. on what I'm looking for at that moment. Personal, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, Jeremy? Yeah, I think that is that moment, isn't it? It's like, as I'm looking at things, it doesn't really matter about the, I suppose, the, the stylistic response, etc. But when I get into that space, I want to feel like I'm at home, I suppose. I, it's that moment where everything works, everything is in the place it should be. And I suppose it isn't, I'm wrong, I mean, perhaps it's not, I don't have to be challenged all the time by it. And I think that's where it is. It doesn't, I don't have to read the manual to be able to use the room, you know. I Turn the lights, the lights is the big one. Oh, don't start me on lights. They're getting simpler and simpler. They're getting simpler and simpler to a switch. Um, maybe that's the age of the decision makers. I don't know, but I think it's, it's also to do with, we all love the wow. But then there's nothing like being in a property where, as designers, you're sitting there going, and it's like a slow burn. You realize what is in the design, what it, how they've executed it. And it's like a slow burn. You're like, that is so clever. There has to be a point where every time you go back in, into that room or into that hotel, you know why you've come back. Yeah. And this is not like real estate 
you know, real estate, you do it, you design it, you sell it the ones. These people have to sell it, you know, if there's 200 keys, they have to sell 200 keys 365 days of the year mm. and guarantee that they get the repeat business. So I think there is a, there's another layer. Yes, every time you put your key in that door, you just go, there is a reason why I stay here. And that's, that is ultimately what we have to deliver on in every project. Thank you, Rachel and Jeremy, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Manita. Thank you, Manita. Jeremy Hayes and Rachel Johnson speaking to me there from the WATG office in London. You've been listening to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast. I'm Monita Rajpal. Thank you for joining us.